Hello, I'm Michael Krigsman, and we are here with another episode of CXO Talk. As always, I'm joined by my host, Vala Offshore. Vala? Michael, great to see you. And it's good to see you on this hot summer day in Boston. <laughs> and we have a wonderful guest today. Amazing guest. Amazing guest. Amazing. Casey Coleman who is the Chief Information Officer at the General Services Administration down in Washington, D.C. Casey, how are you? Calling Casey Coleman. <laughs> so Casey, I think you need to... There we to... go. Oh, there we oh, go. How are you? Sorry about that. I'm doing very well. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Paula. Don't you, don't you love technology? Yes, always. <laughs> I do actually love it. <laughs> and you're you're the you're the CIO of the the GSA. Correct. And that means that you are involved with a huge organization. The whole federal government, in fact, that's correct. GSA is uh, the General Services Administration, and we are an agency that is government wide in our scope. We cover the whole waterfront of business services that other federal agencies use. So we aggregate the buying power of the federal government to get the best value solutions in a whole host of industries, real estate, telecom, IT, credit card services, uh, travel services, and much, much more. And we are a provider to the federal agencies of those services. So we are very much like a private sector business in that we um, are very market-oriented and we have to offer value to our customers for them to want to work with us. Casey, give us a sense of the size of your organization. Well, GSA is an agency of about 17,000 um, users in total, and my organization, the CIO IT team, is um, over 500, uh, 500 uh, employees. Wow. We like have a budget of over $500 million in annual IT spend. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. The well, government does things on a big scale. Sure, sure. Well, if it's okay with you, Casey, before I ask my first question, I want to just uh, introduce you a bit more uh, uh, to, to our audience. So yeah. if you don't mind, just a little bit of uh, background information. You're the recipient of the 2011 uh, Computer World Premier 100 Award uh, winner. Uh, this is in recognition of people who are driving strategy and innovation in the country's best and brightest IT departments. You're also the MIT Sloan CIO Symposium Award winner for leadership. And one of the key uh, reasons why you were recognized for that was the role you played in President Obama's cloud computing initiative. Mm -hmm. You're a three-time Federal 100 Award winner, which again is recognition of use of technology for betterment of, 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 of agencies and, and accelerating the agency's mission. Um, it, based on my research, if GSA was a public company, I believe it would be in the top 250, Fortune 250. So right. obviously you're winning all these uh, recognition for your brilliant work um, in, in large scale, as, as you said. And one of the other things that have been attributed to you and your mission is uh, the fact that you encourage the use of social media mm -hmm. uh, to improve federal government services. And so I want the audience to know that uh, we're just so fortunate to 
to be uh, here speaking with such an accomplished CIO. And with that, now here's my question. Uh, All right. If you could. <laughs> uh, that was like the longest intro to a question. Uh, but um, it speaks to your accomplishments. Thank you. Your, your role as the CIO for now what we found out is, is, is a, five, a half a billion dollar budget, mm -hmm. IT budget, and where you see you know, the core mission uh, that, that you champion throughout the IT organization at GSA. My my main mission really is to align that IT spending that uh, 550 million or 500 million somewhere in in that neighborhood with the GSA administrators priorities and the agency's top objectives and with the Obama administration's strategic priorities. So part of what we do is really oriented around governance and decision making and really understanding how we align our IT investments and initiatives and, and capabilities with what's needed in today's 21st century government. So, so Casey, how does IT at the GSA fit into the broader federal government? And you know, if you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your cloud initiatives, and certainly sure. that's going to be something that we're going to come back to as well as we talk during the show. Sure. So GSA, uh, I said earlier, is an agency whose work spans the entire federal government. So as an agency that sees across the whole federal government, we do a lot that is um, uh, supporting uh, government-wide IT uh, programs and initiatives, such as um, the Federal Data Center Consolidation. This is an effort to really reduce the federal government's uh, IT footprint and our uh, our increase our utilization of our data center capabilities and uh, we manage the program that uh, tracks that for, for all federal agencies. We also oversee the uh, data.gov initiative. This is an effort to take the federal government's wealth of data and information and make it available to the public and to entrepreneurs and to put that information out there uh, as was done with GPS data several years ago and, and allow the marketplace to make you know, vital use of that data for, for entrepreneurial purposes. So we do a lot of really cool stuff that's even outside of our own agency's boundaries. But within the agency, GSA really tries to go first. And as a provider of business services and technology services to other federal agencies, we try to be first with the implementation of not bleeding edge, but leading and innovative technologies implement them internally, use them ourselves, and understand how to deploy them, how to um, use them within the compliance framework that we have to operate within in the government, and be able then to help other agencies to take that same journey. So we have had a lot of firsts with uh, in the federal space and in the public sector space with moving to cloud computing for uh, email and for office productivity tools. Um, moving to social and collaborative uh, networks that allow us to stay connected, even though we're all over the place, Google <laughs> Hangouts being one of those. Uh, mobility, we're really, really pushing our uh, mobile capabilities and big data. So is the GSA and your staff, specifically speaking in terms of the IT structure, uh, is the structure somewhat aligned to uh, the, the information technology megatrends of cloud, mobile, social, big data, um, and certainly application development, and, and, and all centered around mm -hmm. you know, bolstering user experience? Oh, you bet. We have, um, oh, there's a lot of good news in this area. One of the things that's really remarkable in GSA, um, in general, 
federal agencies tend to be somewhat decentralized in their approach to IT. So you will find uh, within any given agency or department in the federal government that there are numerous IT organizations that, that coordinate their work, but their work is not under a single chain of command. Uh, in GSA, however, we have moved from having IT offices that are more aligned with the business and program areas and functional areas such as HR and CFO uh, and brought all that together into a unified team. One of the reasons was that so we could really align our efforts with us, you know, a, a force multiplier of having a unified team and do our work together um, with, you know, uh, unified technology strategy, unified purchasing, uh, shared services for those common functions such as uh, vendor management, um, security, and governance and planning. And in the course of bringing all that together, we have really redoubled our focus on user experience and on agile development. So we're doing a lot with cloud platforms that let us do agile development, and we have, in some cases, reduced our total cost of ownership by 90% by replatforming from legacy premise-based IT tools to cloud platforms such as Force.com from Salesforce. So, so you, do you see uh, your organization as a kind of model or a template uh, for other federal agencies to follow? Well, we certainly learn from other agencies and we hope they learn from us, but I think this model is one that you will be seeing more of because it really speaks to uh, the ability to deliver services and capabilities more economically. And, uh, you know, budgets are, are in in a state of some pressure these days. So the ability to do more with the resources we have on hand now, I think is pretty compelling. So obviously you're you're a very major cloud advocate and you have been for a long time. You are, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, the challenge that I, that, that, that I see when I, when I speak to my customers who are predominantly CIOs is that they, they, in, they certainly intellectually are in agreement in terms of the Mega trends and the impact in the enterprise and IT, but they're also, I wouldn't say concerned, but really focused on making sure that they have the proper skills and, and the training budget to retool their staff mm -hmm. to move from some of these legacy applications to, for example, as you mentioned, a multi tenant SaaS solution from mm -hmm. Salesforce. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that as an award winning CIO, you have a strong emphasis in training and professionally developing your staff. Could you talk a little bit about that? We do, and the, um, that, that's actually a, a great story because the team that currently is doing that agile development in Salesforce and also in, um, in, in Google is um, previously running um, Domino applications and you know, legacy Java applications. So we have uh, really offered new opportunities both to our in-house employees mm -hmm. and also the contractor team that supports us with specialized skill sets. So we have seen a need for, for different skills. We've also seen a need for a broader uh, array of softer skills. So it's not just you know the ability right. to develop the applications, but the ability to really communicate and, and do change management and understand the user experience and, and help users to very productively and rapidly jump in and, and make productive use of the capabilities we're fielding. And to get in front of the trend and not wait for them to come to us, but to understand and partner with them up front so that we can be ready when they, they need something. When, when, you, when one thinks about change management, you know, you think a lot about uh, traditional on-premise applications, but I think for, with the cloud, a lot of people tend to think that, the change, that there's less change management um, 
But, but I think that the process changes associated with moving to the cloud can often be very significant as well. So can you maybe talk a little bit about, about sure. that aspect of the change? Mm -hmm. You know, you're right. The, the change management associated with moving to cloud computing is different. It's, um, in many cases, these applications are more intuitive and easier to use because they're modern and new and they take advantage of you know, the consumer type experience. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, they're constantly changing. So, for example, GSA made a move two years ago from a, a premise-based email system to Google Apps. And in doing so, we knew that this change would touch every person in the agency. You know, email used to be just a tool, and now it's a mission-critical, always-on kind of capability. And that was part of why we made that change, is really to boost our resiliency and our availability and our um, you know, accessibility from any device, anytime, anywhere. But in making that move, we, we looked at it as really a chance to engage the whole agency. So we, uh, we asked for volunteers to be our pacers. We branded this initiative GSA's Drive to the Cloud, and we made a race car theme out of it. And we uh, asked these people who, who self-nominated, around 500 of them, to serve as our pace cars. They would be the early adopters and the champions for the change, and they would agree to you know, help others and to take responsibility and ownership of the change with us so that it wasn't an IT-led initiative. It was really a partnership. And, and we tried to create some, uh, some branding and some sense of, um, you know, these are social leaders in the agency. These are the people who are the, the power users and the influencers, and they, they stepped out and they made the whole effort very successful. Michael, isn't it fascinating that when we talk to Kim Stevenson, mm -hmm. who is the uh, CIO of Intel with 6,500 staff mm -hmm. on her team, and then we talk to Joanna Young, who is the CIO of the largest university in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. they are so focused on user experience, and that's yeah. part of their core values and mission. Mm -hmm. And now you talk about training soft skills and communication and really emphasizing the collaborative nature mm -hmm. of not only the CIO at the helm, but the entire IT organization. Casey, do you see just the fundamental change in IT where historically it, it was a more of a command and control function, and now today, in order to be successful, and I think I know the answer because you're a social CIO, uh, um, you really have to have those communication skills and uh, co-create value right. by partnering with the business. Right. I think of the the CIO today being a choreographer or a conductor of an orchestra, mm -hmm. um, bringing various services together and, and choreographing the delivery of those services, but not necessarily owning the you know the hardware or owning the licenses. Really, more overseeing the delivery of the capability in partnership with the people who are who are needing to use that consume that capability for their own mission. That makes a lot of sense. It's a yeah. Well, you're 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 trying to bring innovation to right. the role and to the organization. And, mm -hmm. and you notice I didn't say technology because I don't think it's fundamentally at the end of the day about the technology. It's about no. the implication of that technology for the business organization. Mm -hmm. right? It so is, it's, yeah. So it seems like that is a key part of what I mean. I've known you for for quite a while. It seems mm -hmm. like that is a key part of what you've been trying to do for a long time now. I think that you have to, uh, yes, that is certainly what we've been trying to do for a long time, and I think you have to 
it, it's never about technology, and it's really not about IT for IT's sake. It's about um, what's the mission of the organization, what are the business objectives or the program objectives, and you've got to really tie the business case for the investment into the achievement of those enhanced objectives. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, here at GSA, one of our functional areas, one of our big program areas, is the as serving as the landlord for the federal government. Um, we oversee several hundred million square feet of real estate space. We're one of the largest real estate organizations in the world. And in order to effectively manage all those properties, we have individuals who uh, who go out and audit them and review the state of the property and, and do a, a, a review of what proactive maintenance needs to occur and what repairs need to take place. And historically, that would take place in a paper-based, you know, clipboard kind of fashion, and then people would return to the office. They would enter those building repair uh, work orders, and it would get turned into a request for service. We're moving now very quickly to a, you know, a, a tablet or even a smartphone where the information can be entered electronically. Um, so it saves time, it reduces error, it makes the work more, more productive, and it also um, I think makes the work more interesting and relevant to to people. It reduces, uh, you know, some of the uh, repetitive nature and allows people to be more productive and more focused on interacting with customers and tenants in the building. So I think it improves customer satisfaction and perhaps even employee satisfaction. Sure, there are a lot of analyst organizations, uh, perhaps led with Gartner, talking about a, a shift from um, technology spend and budget from uh, what was traditionally inside of IT to now outside of IT. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're talking, uh, they being, for example, Gartner, that 25% of the enterprise will appoint the chief digital officer and that the CMO will have a, a, a large portion of the tech spend. Do you find that the agencies and, and, the, and the customers that you serve, they're more tech savvy and their demand of IT is higher today than, let's say, five, five, three or even five years ago mainly because of the consumerization of IT and mm -hmm. how the, as you said, the tablet and the smart devices mm -hmm. are, have so much computing power today um, and, and challenging IT, traditional IT organizations. Well, I love to see tech-savvy business colleagues and you know, functional area partners because the more tech-savvy they are, the more educated a conversation and the more productive a partnership we can have. It's really hard to have a technology conversation about capabilities unless your colleagues are also aware of what the art of the possible is. So I think that's that's a good thing. Uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal recently making the case against the need for a chief digital officer. I don't know if you read that, but I think they thought that's just one more position that maybe doesn't have a clear-cut lane to right. run in. So I'm not sure that uh, how, how much you know momentum that particular trend has, right, but right. I think that um, one of the one of the challenges is to stay in front of that that trend of offices looking for technology solutions. So that's pushing us to be a lot more agile. We have reduced our development time for for new capabilities um, significantly. It's gone from months or or longer to days or weeks in in the case of some of our newer applications. So if you can if you can deliver quality services and you can do it rapidly and you can bring an understanding of the work of the mission of the team that you're supporting. I think the partnership remains solid, but but you're right. Their pressure is pretty intense to stay, you know, stay relevant, really. 
Absolutely. Casey, uh, so your projects, some of your projects, given the size of the organization, must be massive in scope. And you've mentioned um, the Agile process that you've yeah. several several times. So can you talk a little bit about the impact of Agile development on software implementation inside your organization and what that does to projects and project management and so forth and the success rates? Right. I should first point out that not every project and not every system lends itself to Agile development. So for example, our financial system is based on a, a COTS product and we work with the vendor to you know, uh, put our forthcoming product needs into their product development stream. So there's a very traditional model there. Um, on the other hand, um, the, the pressure for, for agile development really is felt across every functional area. So what we're trying to do is really consider mobile first and, and go in with the perspective that it's got to be it's got to be done rapidly and it's got to be done mobile ready from the beginning. You don't add that on at the end. Um, that's also part of the strategy of the uh, the federal government at large. Uh, federal CIO Steve Van Rokel has uh, put out a, a digital government strategy that really talks about starting with the perspective of mobile first and starting with the perspective that you know the data should be open and shareable. So there's uh, it's certainly not just GSA moving this direction. The federal government's making a lot of progress here as well. We have a question from Twitter from Mike Nelson who asks, how have Section 516 compliance challenges <laughs> driven the adoption of cloud alternatives? I don't know what Section 516 is. I'll have to look that up. Well, I just, I just looked it up, and it is legislation that could ban federal IT purchases of certain Chinese equipment. How's that for Oh, OK. Sure. Yeah. Um, this, um, there's, there's a great deal of legislation that pertains to not just this section, but um, Buy America Act and, and various treaties. There's a lot of, um, there's, there's an entire framework around supply chain and the, the purchasing of not only, you know, traditional software licenses and hardware and premise-based, you know, uh, uh, equipment and services, but also cloud solutions. And so in, in any one of these um, uh, procurements, we are governed by those requirements. And so in every case, we have uh, worked really closely with our attorneys who know Section 516 and every other uh, legal mandate very well, and our contracting team who uh, shapes the requirements so that they can be uh, procured in a way that's compliant and appropriate and in accordance with all U.S. law and regulations. That's great. That's great. Um, you know, I, I want to go back to uh, one of the earlier statements you ran that you know everything is large scale at the GSA, and you 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 have a broad range of constituents, and mm -hmm. and also the fact that you know you do uh, promote and champion social collaboration throughout the ecosystem. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, does that help with uh, adoption and acceptance of some of the rapid changes and the fantastic innovation that you're trying to champion? you know, throughout throughout the various agencies? Oh, I definitely think so. We um, at, at GSA are big supporters of social media and social collaboration, both within the agency and externally, uh, with business partners and with constituents and stakeholders. We were one of the first agencies to create a social media policy um, probably five years ago now. And in, in there, we wanted to 
embrace and encourage the use of social media, both from the use of uh, you know official programs and for people who wanted to um, use these tools in an appropriate manner. And so we uh, we really articulated in our social media policy the idea of there is a professional you, a professional self, and there's right. a personal you, a personal self, and you should be clear in any use of social media what's the context that you're operating in, and be aware of, you know, if you're speaking about, um, you know, a new technology or you're speaking about a trend, you want to make sure that you're not appearing to represent your official organization when in fact it's just your own personal opinion. So we've tried to be really clear on the policy end of things. We've also, um, as a as an agency, we've left, a, um, we've we've continued to leave as available um, and accessible the various social media tools. We don't block them. We don't prohibit people from using them, and we do a lot with social media to um, share information about services the federal government provides and GSA provides to the public. Um, you can check out USA.gov. That's the main federal portal to all information and services in the federal government. And on there, you can sign up for uh, news feeds. You can sign up for newsletters. That you know, there's a variety of different channels, including multiple social media channels. We have uh, representation on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and many other channels. So yeah. we are all over social media. And you yourself you, have been on Twitter for a, for a long time. Absolutely. Yes, although I can't compare with Paula. We were joking. Yeah, Vala, yeah, Vala, Vala's a machine. We know that. <laughs> no, but you are you are active on Twitter. You, That's you, true. You're at, you you write wonderful blogs uh, and and talk about your initiatives. So, if uh, other executives in in the in the in the in the, uh, in the federal government adopting and embracing social as much as you have, I think that everyone is adopting social media at really a pace that fits with their agencies. Sure. Risk profile and culture. Uh, you know, as a really a more of a business-oriented agency, and as an agency that tries to be knowledgeable about these technology trends, so that our customers, so that we can partner more effectively with our customers, it's in our best interest to really be effective users and champions right. of these new trends. So I think in some cases GSA is a little bit out there in terms of um, looking at the overall profile of where the federal government is, but it's certainly of something of interest to all CIOs and all agencies. That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, Casey, in a large organization such as the GSA, there have to be challenges driving a cloud, social, mobile agenda. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? What are some of the challenges of scale? And mm -hmm. what are the things that you do to address those challenges? Well, one of the challenges is that um, it, in a cloud environment, uh, and I think this is a good thing, the, the solution is constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. You can come in one morning and your cloud email doesn't have the same look and feel it had yesterday because the cloud service provider has made upgrades and they've pushed it out and you can, you know, figure it out because it's usually pretty intuitive. On the other hand, uh, the pace of change and the, the fact that we're no longer in control of the pace of change are not, and not as in control. Um, calls for users in the IT organization to be flexible and to, uh, you know, stay, take some responsibility for staying informed. So one of the things we've done is create an entire multi-channel IT change management communications uh, program. And we call it the IT Insider. And uh, the IT Insider is a um, 
it's a blog, it's a weekly newsletter, it's a knowledge base, it includes um, real-time chat with technical staff and a uh, collaboration environment where all employees can ask questions and answer them. And so we try to create the ability to meet people where they are at the point in time that they have a question or they have a, a, a need and be able to provide relevant information then and there in a way that's intuitive and easy to use and is um, you know, oriented toward, toward the way that they think and talk and work. I just recently read a study that talked about um, uh, information workers and in 2012 I believe more than a third had more than three uh, devices uh, that they use at work. 80% um, of uh, the information workers use many apps. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe I have probably 30, 35 apps on my, on my smart device. And uh, so all this consumerization of IT, this hyper-connected workforce, 52% um, of the workforce work from multiple locations throughout mm -hmm. the year. Mm -hmm. Do you have flexible telecommuting and bring your own device policies within the GSA and, 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 and throughout your uh, uh, workforce? Oh, absolutely. We have, um, with our move to cloud-based email, uh, really uh, allowed us to start to support a much more diverse array of smartphones and tablets and netbooks and uh, lightweight mobile devices. GSA has a, a policy responsibility for telework. And so we have, again, a, a government-wide responsibility for um, promulgating the, the, the framework in which we do right. you know, mobile work and telework. And so we have been pursuing telework as a strategy of our own for about five years now. When we first started, GSA had about 16, less than 20% of its employees teleworking, and now we're at over 65%. Wow. And, and part of that is due to not just the devices, but um, you know, robust remote access capabilities, um, it's also having the right education campaign so people know how to use these productively. And it's also making sure that people do telework because if you only use this capability you know, right. in, the, uh, in, in, in the interim then, or, or now and then, it doesn't become second, second nature. So one of the things that is, I think, a great success story here at GSA is, again, you know, practicing on ourselves first. We have renovated our headquarters building here in the Washington, D.C. area. It's near the White House, and it's uh, where I'm talking to you from today. And we have completely changed the, the way the building works. It is an open, collaborative, um, um, you know, mobile, mobile furniture. It uh, has um, bookable spaces. And in, in, so, for example, to have this conversation with you today, I booked this space. I don't have a fixed office anymore. I don't have a, you know, a big mahogany desk with, you know, <laughs> certificates on the wall and photos. I have a space that I book according to the kind of work I'm doing that day. So what this allows us to do is many, many benefits. But one of those benefits is that this building used to accommodate about 2,500 employees, and now it accommodates um, well over 4,000. So wow. we can consolidate wow. employees who previously were in other buildings around the around the D.C. metropolitan area, and we'll save over $24 million a year annually on rent. But also, we are all in one space, really for the first time ever. And so as, as beneficial as mobile work is, it's also beneficial for everyone to have a common experience and the ability to collaborate in person now and then. 
So we can, you know, we can be together when we need to be, and we can telework or we can work mobily. And mobile work isn't just working from a Starbucks or working from your sure. home. It might be working from a different place in the building because your team sure. is in a, a huddle space or a collaboration room. So that, that you know, is technology smart. really makes that work. We're very happy about it. That, that but, is very smart. But, but, but Casey, this type of change that you're mm -hmm. talking about has all of these benefits, but at the same time, don't some people find it disruptive and they don't want to give up the mahogany desk because, you know, let's face it, it's nice to have a big office and a big mahogany desk. Michael has a beautiful mahogany desk. Yeah, you, so should, those... you should see my desk after all. <laughs> Michael, you'll have to come down here and uh, visit us. You'll see, oh. uh, you'll see something yeah. very different. You know, I need, to, I need to just interject that in the past, I used to view CXO Talk as an opportunity to taunt my co-host, Vala Afshar. And now he is turning the tables. And uh, I'm not sure that I like it. No, <laughs> well, if you've got a big mahogany desk, then uh, I, I have, don't have a big mahogany desk. But that's the f I don't have that. And the big swivel leather chair. Yeah, so right. If only. Right. There you go. Anyway, so, so but, but there yeah. are people. But there are people who did have it and do have it and don't want to give it up. So how do you manage that, that disruption? Well, I think, first of all, you have to, again, tie it back to the mission of the agency and, and, and help people understand why there's a bigger purpose and a broader, um, you know, a broader perspective than just you know, what's in it for me. So the reason we're doing this is not to um, inconvenience anyone. It is to make better use of our real estate in a very resource-constrained environment and learn and understand what it takes to do that effectively so that as other agencies who are our clients are looking for better real estate options so that they too can manage their rent bills that they pay to us more effectively, we can be an expert partner and consultant and advisor to help them be more effective as well. So there's a mission benefit. I think people take pride in being part of something that's innovative, even if it may be personally inconvenient at first. And, and it will be. You know, everyone's going from, not everyone had a mahogany desk, but people had dedicated space and they could put, you know, personal items up. But this is nothing new in the private sector. This is very much the mainstream trend. And so I think it's time for us as, you know, as public sector stewards of taxpayer dollars to be really responsible and thoughtful about what we're doing with those. Well, we're, we're, Casey, we're among friends, so feel free to answer this. Yeah, it's just, just, just the three of us. And, and, and some hundred people watching Yeah, don't, don't think about all those people in the, in the future. Just the yeah. three of us. So. And the fact that we're going to blog about it and everything. But yeah. <laughs> what, what are some of the challenges, uh, you know, in terms of social, mobile, cloud, big data adoption in such a, you know, mm -hmm. large organization such as yours? I mean, there has to be challenges. And, and is there one particular one that, uh, you would advise other, uh, you know, chief information or digital or marketing officers mm -hmm. to not only look out for, but also have a good, good way to combat. You know, I think one of the challenges is that so much of our existing portfolio really doesn't lend itself to cloud, mm -hmm. mobile, social. So, for example, you know, the, the financial systems, the HR systems that we have in the agency, they're very traditional COTS-based products that have been in place for many years. Uh, what we're trying to do, however, is to identify the functionality, the key capabilities that we need to extract and make mobile-enabled. We're not ever going to, you know, put the entire financial system on a tablet. That's not going to happen. But um, 
the ability to approve a leave slip or a time card or to process a financial um, you know, transaction or obligation, those kind of point transactions might very well be something that we do see a business case for mobile enabling. So really making, you know, really understanding what's in your portfolio and understanding the variety of capabilities, the variety of technologies, what you can and can't do, and then making strategic choices about what you're going to invest in and where you're going to focus those, you know, new technology efforts. Um, the whole governance process and decision making and prioritization prioritization process is really essential here. How much of a, a, a cultural challenge uh, exists in terms of setting aside the you know legacy systems and infrastructure? Mm -hmm. is, is, are, are there programs that better communicate the why so people can believe and, and really see the tangible benefits? Because I feel that some of these megatrends are fairly disruptive. So even if you mm -hmm had a, you know, a, a, a clean whiteboard and you could design from scratch, mm -hmm. some of the existing experience and knowledge set that exists in, in the enterprise um, doesn't necessarily lend itself to, let's say, collaboration and, mm -hmm. and open office space and telecommuting and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the, um, it, it, you know, it's going to vary by individual according to their sort of adoption and um, embrace of new technologies. Uh, one of the benefits, though, to the end user, I think, is that if you look back in the past, we developed sort of point solutions or we uh, deployed point solutions for different functional capabilities. And what that ended up requiring is that employees who use all of these systems in their work, you know, in their business process, workflow, workday kind of effort, had to had to sort of sneaker net information between them. and the, right. The employees work for the systems. The systems right. don't work for the employees. So the ability to really streamline that work and to reduce the the you know repetitive nature of some of the work and to integrate things better and to I, I think make the work more interesting and allow people to be more productive and more engaged with those that they support is is really why anyone wants to come to work. People want to come to work to make a difference and to you know, have an opportunity to contribute, and if the tools are not getting in their way from their doing that, and I think that that's a pretty uh, provocative and compelling business case. That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, Casey, um, as you have shifted into this really innovative supplier of services and and a full partner of with with the business. I think one of the things that's happening with, with many CIOs is they are struggling to remain relevant and not to be de devalued as merely a provider of infrastructure and mm -hmm. infrastructure-related services. So what advice can you offer CIOs who may be listening who are, have, are being challenged by this, by this transition? Well, it's, it's, it's certainly something we're all focused on, and I think just a couple of ideas. One, I think, is that you really uh, don't underestimate the importance of doing the routine, you know, routine service delivery in an excellent fashion. I mean, you build credibility when, you know, the network is up and remote access works and the devices are, are you know, are routinely, you know, accessible and, and that kind of behind-the-scenes kind of service delivery that's not very glamorous, but it builds credibility, it builds respect, and it gives you a platform to do more. And then beyond that, 
it's it's essential to build relationships and to build you know personal trust and personal credibility with you know your peer executives and with the constituencies that you support. Um, one of the challenges we faced a few years ago was in uh, consolidating those very infrastructure services. The GSA uh, had at one point 39 different contracts for commodity, you know, infrastructure type services. And this is back about six or seven years ago. We consolidated all that into a single program. And that meant a lot of efficiencies, a lot of cost savings, a lot of, uh, you know, security improvements and operational improvements. But it also meant a loss of some personal control at the local level. And that was a challenge for us to, to assume that new responsibility effectively and to continue to you know, even at that level, remain a, a essential business partner to our customers and stakeholders in the agency. And so we really spent a very intensive 12 months visiting with each one of those individuals personally, visiting with each of the offices and giving people an opportunity to have an, you know, an, an open mic and the ability to tell us what wasn't working and we were very transparent about fixing things and, and committing and, and following up on those commitments. And through that process, and through the process of, of hearing people out and collaborating with them, even on, on these routine matters, I think we built a sense of trust that we weren't just in this to, you know, to run the IT. We were there to help them be effective and to help them get their job done. And that, that, that carried a message of credibility that benefited us as we started to do more and more with uh, voice over IP and with, uh, you know, mobility and telework. And, Many other initiatives have been successful because of the relationships that we built through that early round of collaboration and consolidation. That's fantastic. Casey, what advice do you have to, um, to vendors or, or startups who are trying to sell uh, to a CIO? Mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm sure many of the vendors and startups watching the show heard that you have a $500 million IT budget. <laughs> would love to hear your answer. <laughs> I've got to say the $500 million is largely spoken for. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, always next year. Yeah. One of the things that's is um, it, it's really important to understand the constraints that we operate under and the compliance framework and the, the reg... You know, to go back to the regulatory issues mm. that we talked about earlier about supply chain and Cybersecurity. Uh, you know, we are we are a big customer. The federal government is, I think, perhaps the largest customer of IT. But we operate in a very highly controlled, regulated environment, and so and it's a, it varies slightly from some you know some agencies. The defense community has a slightly different set of compliance requirements. So understanding those and and realizing that we you know we don't have the liberty to change those rules. We need to find solutions that work within that framework. And working with us to make sure that your solutions do fit within that framework and that we understand how we can remain compliant uh, using innovative new solutions is, I think, a very effective way to, um, you know, to be heard and to be credible and, and to be, um, you know, seen as a partner above and beyond being just a vendor. What about startups? Do you do, is it inconceivable for a startup to even think about working with a large government agency? Oh, no. Like oh, no. Really? Uh, the federal yeah. government is very committed to small business and to, um, uh, you know, a heavy reliance on the small business community. In fact, uh, the Small Business Administration promulgates uh, standards for the percentage of your business that needs to be 
engaged with small business. So each of us have a scorecard that we are uh, you know, monitored on for our ability to work with small businesses. And we have found that we have you know, innovative solutions and agile partners and very committed teammates from the small business community. So, uh, for example, our, um, you know, I mentioned earlier the consolidation of our common services, the infrastructure support services. That is a, 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 a work um, engagement that is um, several tens of millions of dollars annually, and that is with a small business. They, they do that work for us. So we found them to be very effective. Um, I will say that if you are a small business thinking about doing business with the government, there's a couple of avenues that you should think about um, engaging. One is a, a website called challenge.gov. Uh, the federal government is looking to be innovative, not just in its use of technology, but in its, in its engagement with industry. And challenge.gov is a place where federal agencies post their open problems and issues that they want industry to propose a solution for. It's a sort of an open competition and the best solution or solutions can be selected. So it's a, a different avenue to procure newer or more innovative or you know non-traditional kind of solutions. But uh, agencies or uh, vendors can also look, um, look at GSA. We have a program called the GSA Schedule and the GSA Schedule is a way for uh, a company to pre-negotiate the terms under which it will do business with the government. What that does is then uh, other agencies can then rapidly access those solutions because they don't have to start from scratch in the discussions and negotiations. They can rely on the GSA schedule as a way to, sh to speed up their time to solutions. So uh, we're very proud of the GSA schedules programs. There's over 18,000 vendors who hold a GSA schedule and uh, it's, it's one way to enter the federal marketplace. Great. Well, we're just about out of time, unfortunately. This has been a very interesting discussion and it really sheds a different face on what one typically thinks about about the federal government and about really? you know, te technology Truly. in the government. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's innovation. right. It's not your granddad's federal government. It's uh, <laughs> the 21st century government. So, so before we end the show, I mean, we have an award-winning CIO. You're doing amazing work. What advice do you have to CIOs? It, what has helped you be successful in your career? And it, because you know, certainly, you know, our audience would love to uh, learn from you. If you had, a, you know, a, 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 a board of two that you would want to share. One of the things that I've always um, relied on is, uh, you know, advice from my mentors and those who've been mm -hmm. successful and have helped me in my journey. And uh, one of the one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was be willing to take a chance, be willing to make a change, be willing to try something you haven't tried before, to do something you haven't done before. And it sounds very um, common sense, but if you if you're not aware of it, you may find yourself falling into you know routine habits and practices simply because that is the routine. So if you're conscious of the need to stay fluid and to be open to change and to be willing to take a chance when the situation is appropriate. I've, I've found that I've never regretted doing that. So stay fluid, be open to change. That's your parting. Change is the constant in our industry, and I, that's one of the things I love about it. It's always exciting, and it's never it's never the same. All right. Wow. Well, on that note, I think we're about out of time. You are amazing. Yeah. Thank, thank you, thank you so much. much. As are you. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you very much, uh, and uh, look forward to sharing your. Uh, 
your, your words of wisdom in our audience in our, in our upcoming blogs. Thank you very much, Casey. My pleasure. Have a nice so, day. Bella, this has been a lot of fun. It's been great. It's been great. What a fastest it's a, 45 minutes you guys have. I know, and it's a very different view of the federal government really than is. we tend to think about. I'm inspired. Yes, oh, yeah. completely different. Yeah. Well, you have been watching CXO Talk, and our guest today has been Casey Coleman, who is the Chief Information Officer for the General Services Administration. Casey, thank you again. We are very grateful for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And please tune in again next week, and we'll look forward to seeing you, and I hope everybody has a great week. Bye-bye.